Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow on SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today's guest, one of the youngest coaches in all of Division I basketball. Last year when he got his first shot as a first-time head coach, he was the youngest head coach at the Division I level. We're going to have to get some clarification from him to see if that still stands in year two at San Francisco. Head coach of the Dons, Todd Golden. Todd, how is it? I'm doing well, man. Dan, I appreciate you uh, having me on with you. Absolutely. So let's get clarification. Are you still the youngest no. head coach in Division One? No, there's there's a couple guys now. Uh, I think there's three or four, actually, that uh, that are younger. I know Brian uh, Mullins at uh, SIU is a year younger than me. We played against each other uh, in college. And then a guy down at Nickel State, Austin Clonch, is I think he's a couple years younger. He's a super, super young head coach. So uh, it, was, it was a nice title to hold for a couple months at least, but uh, I've already graduated from it. So, you know, it is what it is. Well, coaching is one of those uh, interesting professions that a lot of people feel you have to pay your dues a certain way. Um, a lot of people feel like you have to kind of earn your experiences. Sure. You skipped a lot of st- steps, but you did it because you earned it through your hard work. And I'm sure we're going to talk about some of those steps uh, and some uh, and a lot of that hard work that you put in. But first, I want to talk about uh, growing up in the Phoenix area. Sure. Did you w- was your high school coach your mentor? Is that who kind of maybe put the coaching bug in you early before you even got to the college ranks? You know what? It, it's interesting. So I played at a really really good high school program. I played at Sunny Slope High School. Uh, my junior year, we went twenty nine and one, won a state championship. And, uh, you know, my head coach, his name was Dan Mannix. He's since retired. He's one of the all-time winningest high school coaches in Phoenix, uh, over 650 high school wins. You know, so as you know, that's an insane number, especially at the high school level. And, and I didn't I, – in the high school time frame, I had no idea I wanted to coach, you know. Um, but he did definitely grow my love for the game. And, you know, being a part of a successful program, as you know, uh, you know, makes the game a lot more fun. And so it was kind of, you know, getting to play for him – I think, uh, you know, it prepared me for trying to earn a role at the college level, uh, being a little bit under talented, but, you know, just, he, he gave me a good understanding of what winning was all about. So you take a lot of your experiences of learning how to play the right way and compete to win. Uh, you move on to the college game and you go to a really good program in Moraga at St. Mary's under coach Randy Bennett, you're a walk-on and then you earn your, earn a scholarship and you became a really real an integral part of a couple different NCAA tournament teams. What makes Randy Bennett such a good coach? Because I think he's undervalued in the eyes of national fans. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's funny because if, if it weren't for the coach that you played for, I think he'd be one of the most appreciated coaches in the country, you know, and just the fact that Gonzaga has been so good for so long has, uh, I don't want to say overshadowed, but definitely uh, taken some of the shine off of what, you know, what's been an incredibly impressive run that St. Mary's has had. And, uh, you know, I think with, with Coach Bennett, um, you know, he, he's a super gritty guy. He's tough. You know, uh, you know, you look at him and he, he doesn't look like much, you know, he, he is what he is, but the dude is a grinder. And, uh, you know, he, he's just really, really tough. And, and like we talked about, he, he really understands what winning is all about. And, you know, for him to, to be able to build the program the way he did at St. Mary's and then for the last, you know, 15 years, really be able to keep it going. Uh, you know, and being a perennial top 40 program, I think is, is really hard to do, especially at this level. You know, obviously what Coach Few has done at Gonzaga is it's in a whole nother world. But for for what Coach Bennett's done, it, you know, it's uh, he he never takes a day off. I think he has a great understanding of culture and, and how to build teams. And uh, he also is really good at getting the most out of his players. You know, I think you look at some of the guys over the years, uh, whether it be Della Vadova or Mickey McConnell. Uh, guys that kind of came in as unheralded recruits, you know, Sam Hand, Londale, these guys. And then by the time they graduate, they're, you know, two or three year all league players and maybe they won a player of the year award. Uh, and guys just get better, you know, and I think the player development piece, you know, some people think it's all about, you know, the drills and the one on one workouts and things like that. But a lot of it is just getting guys to understand, you know, what's what's winning and what's losing and, and being, uh, you know, being able to come and practice hard every day and having that continuity of uh, work ethic. And I think he does a really, really good job with that. I love how you describe player development isn't just skills and, and workout drills. It's, it's getting players to understand what can make them successful and then in turn make the team successful. I think that's uh, one of the recipes to success that most coaches have to figure out and be able to then translate that over to with their team. Quick side note, quick story. Coach yep. Bennett recruited me in high school. I'm sure he did. <laughs> he was he was an assistant coach at Pepperdine with Lorenzo Romar, right. and, and the two of them had a home visit uh, at my house when I was growing up, and, and I remember both of them very clearly uh, because they were both very good about developing guards and, and talking about, hey, we got pick and roll situations. This is what we want to do. And, and you fast forward to now his time as a head coach at St. Mary's, his pick and roll kind of book, I guess yeah. you could call it for lack of a better term, uh, is as good as any coaches in the country that I've seen. The ability to change angles on pick and rolls and have weak side actions and then duck ins with the timing. Um, is that something that once you knew you were getting into coaching, you paid closer attention to? Yeah. You know, it's funny because when uh... – the, the best part about that is when I, when I was at St. Mary's, we really didn't start running a lot of that till my last year, you know, until Patty got there, we were running, you know, we were playing with two bigs running like box sets and just really like kind of grimy offensive, you know, sets and just really just trying to get the ball up on the rim. And then, that's like Gonzaga with flex. We were running flex. Exactly. When I was there. Same stuff, you know? And so, and then Patty comes in and, and coach is like, all right, I, I got one that I can put in these situations and let him go play a little bit. Um, but when it really kind of, you know, and being a part of that program, obviously you appreciate, uh, you know, practicing and doing those things every day. But it, it wasn't until I got to Auburn really where Bruce was like, hey, I, I love what, what Coach Bennett does with the ball screens. Can you can we put some of that stuff in here? And I'm like, wow, like if Bruce is saying this about Coach Bennett, you know, this is something that's that's super appreciated across the country. And, and I think like all coaches, 
where, where coach Bennett's been great is he's continued to improve, you know, like he went from being a grimy three round two, you know, defending coach to, you know, over the past 10 years has been known as one of the best offensive coaches in the country, you know, spread them out for round one, obviously when they had Sam Hain and Londale, they'd play out of the post a lot. Then they'd play a lot of the ball screen with Deli and Mickey uh, and, and Emmett Nahr, guys like that. So his ability to, to kind of change the way he plays with his personnel is really good. And the ball screen stuff, you know, is it's, it's tremendous. And I think a big part of that is you have to have the type of guys on the floor that understand how to play because uh, your big has to be the one that reads changing the angle, right? And your guard has to know to have to get the guy on his hip and do all those things. But again, that's coaching, right? Being able to recruit guys that, that can play in those situations. And, and he's done a nice job that way. Well, I want to talk about Bruce Pearl and kind of his enthusiasm and impact on your coaching career in a bit, in a bit, but you've got a unique start to your coaching journey. You played for a couple of years overseas when you're done at St. Mary's, then you came back and you started working just in the business world. Yeah. But as many guys who, who love the game kind of feel that tug to come back, you left us what I read and I've heard was a successful yeah. start of a business career to get into coaching right. with Kyle Smith at Columbia. What was that decision-making process like? You know what? It's funny, man, because it was, uh, it was something that, I, you know, when I got done at St. Mary's, I, I should say after my, third, my fourth year, which was my retro junior at St. Mary's, I, I really didn't have aspirations to play pro like it wasn't something that I was like oh I'm going to definitely go overseas and grind it out but because you know Patty came in and we had an incredible year uh and I obviously I shot the ball really well because I had some really good players around me and they opened it up for me and that provided that opportunity to go play so I went and did that and ended up doing it for two years but there I always had the battle of if I wanted basketball to define me for my whole life you know it was kind of just trying to figure out what exactly you know if there were other things that were going to interest me or other things and so when I got done playing in Europe in Israel I, I decided I could have gone and, and worked with Kyle at that point but I was just I wasn't ready to move to New York and I wanted to kind of go back and do some things with my buddies and uh, so I got into sales and marketing job and and uh, it, it was it was financially lucrative and there were some good situations but I, I remember we, I call it the Sunday scaries man every night at about six o'clock on Sunday night I would be sitting there whether it was, you know, watching golf or something, I'm like, man, I can't believe I have to go to work and put on a suit and tie tomorrow morning. You know, and that was just something that I found myself living for the weekends, you know, and that it's just not a very good way to live. And so after doing that for like 18 months, um, the Kobe Altman, who's now the general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers, had been working with Kyle. And I saw on Twitter that he had taken a job with the Cavs. And so I kind of, I was driving over the, the Bay bridge at the time to go work in San Francisco in the city for Comcast Sportsnet, And I was just like, you know what, this might be the only chance I get, you know, to maybe get into coaching. Uh, Cause I was 25 or 26 at that point, I was starting to kind of get past that entry level point. And uh, so I hit up Kyle and uh, I was like, Hey, you know, I, I think I want to, you know, he's like, all right, well, if you're, if you're going to come now, you're not going to be an assistant. You're going to be my dobo. And I was kind of like, whoa, all right. You know, cause originally I was, you know, they don't, they don't pay the third assistant in the Ivy league. So that was kind of what I was thinking about doing two years prior. And at that point I talked to who was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. And I was just like, Hey, you know, I, I really don't enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, I kind of want to try this thing and see if it's, you know, something that can, you know, for lack of a better term, complete me. And, uh, and she was incredible about it. I was like, Hey, let's, let's move to New York. It could be fun. And uh, a week and a half later, I was the director of basketball ops at Columbia. It happened quick. That did happen quick. Wow. I mean, I've had, uh, 
I've had been part of trades in the NBA that didn't even happen that quick. <laughs> Moving to New York for a new coaching position after dumping your previous job. That that's awesome. That's I was a, a heck of a coach. Um, yeah. you know, I didn't get a chance to see him up close at Columbia, but I did when he was at USF. I do now when he's at Washington State. What are some of the biggest things that you learned under Kyle uh, during your time at Columbia? You know what, him and uh him and Randy have a lot, very different personalities, but the way they run their programs are very similar, you know, and I think he's a, he's a little more emotional than, than coach Bennett. And uh, you know, he's a little higher and a little lower, um, but man, he's one of the most passionate human beings that I've ever spent time with. And, and I have a super soft spot in my heart because he was the one that really drove my recruitment, you know, as a walk on to St. Mary's, it, you know, it wasn't as much coach Bennett as it was Kyle. And I played with a guy who ended up signing with St. Mary's and that's where they kind of knew where I was. And he was the one that ultimately kind of believed that I would have a chance. And uh, so I'm incredibly appreciative for, to him for that. Uh, and, you know, it was really fun working with him, you know, both as his ops guy and then an assistant at Columbia and then as associate head coach here, we're both super competitive guys. And as you can imagine, there were moments where, you know, we would butt heads or, or disagree. Uh, but I think the, the thing that kind of, uh, helped us both was that we were not afraid to be honest with each other, you know, and I think that's something that's really important is, you know, when, when you're trying to be great, you can't surround yourself with people who are, you know, yes men and people that are like, Oh yeah, coach, that's a great idea. Great. No, like there's sometimes even the head coach has no idea what he's talking about and he needs people on his staff to be able to say, Hey, you know, let's do it this way. Let's try this way. So he, uh, Kyle is, he's, he's, he's been around the game his whole life. You know, he's been in the college space now over 25 years and uh, I, I thought it was a genius hire. Obviously, I was selfishly, it worked out great for me also, but that when Washington State hired him, because, you know, Tony Bennett did an incredible job there, right? Kelvin Sampson back 20, 25 years ago did an incredible job, but that's, Washington State is not an easy one. And uh, Kyle, I think he has as good of an understanding of the college basketball program landscape as anybody in the country in terms of what you need to, to win and to be successful. A lot of times you hear his view of the game described as nerd ball. He looks right. at analytics. Right. I've heard that you are very analytics driven as well. If you look at box scores uh, for a lot of your games with USF, you guys shoot a lot of threes. Yeah. Them being nerd ball, how would you give your team or your program a nickname? Want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators, a team of experienced Sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value 
and unique selection. You know what? It, that's so the best part about this is when uh, when I got the job, my ops guy, Jonathan Sapphire, is a super, super bright uh, up and coming coach. Front, and I think he'll eventually be in the front office somewhere. Um, he told me to read the book Astro Ball, which was, you know, about how, uh, you know, I think it was like back in 20, whatever it was, but Sports Illustrated had a writer go follow the Astros in their rebuild and how they were going to, you know, build their program back up or build the, their franchise back up. And SI predicted that they'd win the World Series in four years. And sure enough, four years later, they won it. And reading the book, the difference between Moneyball, which was the Oakland A's, you know, they were all analytically driven. There was no human element involved. It was, you know, we're going to draft college players based off their numbers and how they, you know, how they rank against their peers, et cetera. And the part about Astro Ball that really spoke to me was that it was mostly analytically driven, but they also relied on the human element as well. And there was a, a healthy combination, a healthy synergy between those two evaluation tools that they used to kind of come to their, their conclusions. And that's what my goal has been here, where we want to be analytically driven in most of our decision-making uh, because my hope is that will eliminate some mistakes for us. But at the same time, I want us to trust our gut. I want us to, you know, we're, as coaches, trust what we've done in our different uh, spheres of our careers and be able to integrate that into our system as well. So I like to call ourselves a merger between, you know, being analytically driven, but also having some human element involved and in trying to pair that the best we can. I like that because I, I was taught with the one year that I spent with the Blazers in player development and, and the front office doing college scouting was uh, you, you look at a game – and evaluate it with eyes, ears, and numbers. And the way you describe it is very similar. Is yeah. At times you might look at one as being more important than the other, but you got to take a look at all three of them and combine them together to form your own opinion. So you, you, you sandwiched some time with Kyle Smith at different places with yeah. time at Auburn under the, one of the most unique personalities of all in college basketball. For I've sure. had a chance to, uh, to call a couple Auburn games uh, okay. on Westwood One Radio. And before those games, I've had a chance to talk to Coach Pearl uh, each time. And okay. he is a ball of energy. I don't know if I've ever been around a coach outside of maybe Kelly Graves from the University of Oregon yeah. women's program that has so much energy. What was it like working with him? You know what? It was, uh, it was awesome. And, and our, our history goes back to in 2009, I played for him in uh, the USA Maccabia team in, in the international games in Israel. I played point guard for him. And when we went over there to compete against Israel, we ended up winning the gold medal. It was an awesome experience. And uh, his son, Steven, was on the team and we got super close. And so Bruce and I got very well connected. And I was, honestly, I was thinking about going to work for him as a GA at Tennessee. And then obviously, you know, he got uh, released for the recruiting violation and, and was out of the business for a little bit. And so when he got back in at Auburn, uh, you know, he wanted to surround himself with people that he knew and people that he trusted to kind of build that program up. And uh, I had just finished my second year at Columbia and my second year as an assistant. And I was ready, you know, I wanted to kind of, first of all, either try to get back West or try to go to a bigger program where I could learn more. And so when Bruce got the job, it, it worked out perfect. And it was funny because he wasn't after, you know, when he first got it, he wasn't ready to hire me as an assistant yet. You know, he's like, hey, why don't you come down and be my ops guy? And, uh, you know, we'll get this thing built up from the ground, you know, from the ground floor. So that's great. And I had been ops for Kyle uh, my first year at Columbia. So I had experience in that sense. And I felt like I could do a good job for him. 
And, uh, you know, the SEC pays a lot better and it's a lot cheaper to live down there than it is in to live in New York City. So it was a no-brainer, went down there. And uh, you described him perfectly. I think his uh, his energy level is is like nothing I've seen before. And, and he, you know, he works incredibly hard. You know, I, I just remember to our first fall of recruiting and he was on the road nearly every day after practice. You know, he would, we'd finish up a workout he'd be in the car and he's, he's off to, you know, Atlanta or he's off to, you know, South Georgia or, you know, or he's going down to Huntsville and he's just, there's no days off. And I think his work ethic uh, specifically in the recruiting space is, is, is unmatched. And his, uh, as a coach, what I think he does as well, if not better than anybody else is he really, he really gets his guys to play with an insane level of confidence. And I, I think that, and, and you were a great player. I think you understand even the best players, you know, struggle with confidence at times, right? Like there's times where, you know, you're playing, whether it's at Gonzaga or in the NBA, and you're thinking every shot you're shoot, you're going to make. And then just two weeks later, you're like, man, I can't feel my rhythm. I can't get it going. You know, there's something missing. And, uh, you know, I, we, our first two years there, or my two years there, we weren't, we weren't incredibly talented. And, and we had, you know, when you look at the SEC at that time, you had like Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker running around at Tennessee. You had pros at LSU. It was a really good league. Uh, but in our first year at the SEC tournament, he got our guys playing so well, so connected and with such confidence that we went from being the 13 seed to start the event to making the semifinals. You know, we won three in a row to get there and it was just insane. We had no business doing it, but it, it just speaks to him and uh, his ability to get guys to play hard. You know, I, I think every team that he's ever had, people would look at him and be like, man, those guys, those guys are dogs. They play hard, you know, they fly around and uh, get them playing confidently. And that's something that uh, I, I try to emulate uh, about, like, from what he did. After your time in Auburn, you go back to being with Kyle Smith, your associate head coach at, at San Francisco. You guys do a tremendous job. He's now at Washington State. You get the opportunity to lead the program yourself. Yeah. That's a, that, that is a difficult thing for anybody, right? Yeah you move over 18 inches yeah. and it's a whole different view of the game a whole different view of running a program and responsibilities. Did you feel you were, you were ready? And at what point did you finally take a deep breath and be like, okay, I feel comfortable in this role now? Yeah. You know what? I, I did. I really did. Like, and I was probably naive and probably had way too high of a, um, you know, belief in myself and <laughs> during getting the job. But again, like I've, I've been super, super fortunate, you know, I think uh, dating back to, you know, just us talking about my high school coach, I played for a great high school coach. I played for a great college coach, played for a good coach in Israel, you know, and then got to work for Kyle and, and Bruce and then Kyle again. And, you know, I think the college game is there's so much more to it than coaching. You know, I think that's something that is so different from the NBA in college, you know, the NBA, when you're coaching, uh, you're not worried about recruiting. You're not worried about budgets. You're not worried about travel. You're not worried about, um, you know, what's going on necessarily in, in this guy's life socially. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of basketball and, and, and that's awesome, you know, but college, you have to be able to navigate through all those different areas to, to run a good program. And, and I did feel like, you know, being around Kyle and Randy that I would be, and honestly, from being a director of ops guy twice, you know, like that, that's an experience that I felt like really prepared me to be a head coach because I had a great understanding of that part of, of the program. You know, I think that's why sometimes uh, you see guys that maybe came from the NBA struggle. They, they don't understand 
um, a huge part of the, the, the program of the business part, you know, of, of all of those things. And so, uh, you know, it obviously happened fast. And when Kyle got the job, uh, you know, I think the, the main reason why I was fortunate was I think I had done a good enough job with the players here in the program and that the administration trusted me and knew that if I was the head coach that we would be able to retain most of our players and we had a good thing going and, and they liked that continuity piece. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, the first year went really well. You know, we had a really good year and uh, won 22 games and felt like we had some really, really good momentum going until, you know, the pandemic started. And that was a whole nother story. But, um, you know, th there were a lot of ups and downs in the first year. But overall, uh, yeah, I thought I thought I was ready and I thought, you know, we did a pretty good job. So you are in the midst of year two. Yeah. Right. And I think for, for a lot of outsiders that don't follow the West Coast Conference closely, they, they think it's Gonzaga and then nobody else. And I disagree with that. I think Gonzaga and, you know, I think you know me well enough to have known that I, I have a lot of pride and in, in, in love what my alma mater is doing. Sure. Uh, and I think they've separated themselves. But I think the WCC is so much better yeah. than it gets credit for. Yeah. How do you view the WCC as a, as a head coach working within the league? And then what do you need to do or what do you feel the opportunities are for San Francisco to keep climbing up into that upper echelon consistently? Yeah, you said it, man. I mean, you look back to when we were playing and I finished up a little after you, but there was only eight teams in this league, you know, first of all. And then, uh, you know, Gonzaga had built a great program. But, you know, when I was when from 2000, let's say 2003 to 2008, when I was at St. Mary's, you know, Gonzaga was very good, but they were like, you know, top 20, top 30 good. They weren't number one in the country good. You know, that, that's a big difference. And I think that's where, you know, you look now and Gonzaga has clearly separated themselves. I mean, they're, I, I look at, you know, from an analytical standpoint, I think they're probably the best college basketball team in the past 20 years. Like as crazy as that might sound, I think they've, this team has separated themselves that much. And, and I think BYU coming into league has raised the bar. You know, they they treat their program um, <clears throat> like an NBA program, like a high, high, high major. They invest a lot. Uh, their their staff is very good. Uh, they have a really good team. And then obviously you have what Coach Bennett's done at St. Mary's, and, and you have those main three. And then now the, to the credit of the rest of the league, I think this league is deeper this year than it's been really. I don't know, maybe ever. I think there's eight teams in the top 130 or 140 of the net. Uh, and then, you know, San Diego is solid. Portland's obviously struggled. And so the difference now, even back to when you and I were playing, or even when we first got here back in 16, there, there's no nights off in this league. Like when we got here in 2016, you know, uh, Damon just got the job at Pacific and he had a full rebuild on his hands, you know, and, and they were struggling and he's done an incredible job getting it back to, you know, they can really compete and they're, you know, they're good now. They're, he's just done a great, great job. Um, and you look at, you know, Santa Clara has gotten more competitive uh, across the board. LMU stands on an awesome job this year. Pepperdine, you know, you're seeing Kobe and Kessler, those guys playing really well. So it's just like, you can't, if you don't play well, you are going to lose. Like there's no nights where you can, even at home where you can go and like, I thought last, I'll use last Thursday as an example. I thought we defended. I thought we rebounded. I thought we took care of the ball. Like we did a lot of things that equate to winning. We didn't make enough shots and we lost, you know, usually you get away with that and you win by a couple points and you feel good about yourself. Not anymore. And I think that's where, um, you know, that's where this league has become incredibly challenging. And what do we need to do? 
you know, I think we're on the right track. I think we have some really good young talent in our program um, that if, if we can keep this nucleus together, we'll see uh, some continued improvement over the next few years. But you got to keep up with the Joneses too, you know, and you have Gonzaga who's, um, you know, raised the bar to, to, you know, say it lightly. You have BYU who's doing everything they can to keep up with Gonzaga. And then you have teams like St. Mary's who have done it for 20 years. So we have to continue to recruit the right student athletes that we feel like can get us there. We have to continue uh, as a program and, and as a university providing our program with what we need uh, to continue to compete um, because, you know, we're, we're, we have to be as good of a high major team to really finish in the top three or four of this league. You know, if you're not doing that, uh, you're, you're just not going to win. And so you have to recruit like a Pac-12 team. You have to recruit like, uh, you know, a top three Mountain West team or, you know, a top two or three WCC team. And uh, it, it's a challenge. You know, I, it's, uh, it's not something that uh, will, will come easy and it's nothing's no success is guaranteed. But, you know, the best thing you can do is continue to try to recruit good kids that, that you know, are about the right things and, and try to put them in positions to be successful, continue to, to try to cultivate a good environment, a good culture, good program, have a good staff, and then let the chips fall where they may. Well, Coach, I appreciate the time. I, I really enjoy watching your team play, and probably a lot of it is due to the fact that you space the floor. <laughs> And you, and you let your guys play with freedom and yeah. shoot a ton of threes. I, I would so, you, I man, if, if you were coming out of high school, I would sell my soul, dude. I'd give all, you know, I'd come do the in-homes, I'd do it all. So I appreciate you saying that. Awesome. Well, best of luck as you finish Thank up you. this season and uh, continued success on, I believe, what's called the Hilltop, if I'm not yep. mistaken. I appreciate it, Dan. Always great catching up, brother. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.